Hi, friend. Welcome to the Olive Branch Mom Podcast. My name is Bridget Adler, a Catholic mom of four turned religion teacher. Each week, you'll hear interviews, tips, and strategies to grow in faith and find peace in the chaos, while we extend the proverbial olive branch from one spiritual viewpoint to another. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let's jump right into it. Today is episode two of our Olive Branch Mom podcast, and we'll be discussing monotasking, which I'm really excited about. How about you? really excited about it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm super thrilled to talk about it. And it's one of the hardest parts of the stillness diet. So I want to know what your relationship is to, let's talk about multitasking. Cause I think that's the opposite of monotasking, right? So what has been your relationship with multitasking? Well, I mean, for me, um, I feel like I've gotten extremely multitasky, uh, from early on as a mom, I think you're kind of, I think I was always kind of a multitasker, but, um, when you have really little kids, I feel like you are making the most of every little second. So then you kind of like pack in way too much. And all of a sudden you're doing like 10 things really badly instead of two things. Well, (laughs) does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah, it does make a lot of sense. Um, so so I'll share. So multitasking for me is like a superpower of mine. <laughs> Something I feel like is a superpower of mine. And all of my jobs have sort of relied on that superpower, the ability to be like, call this person, do this, do that while doing this. Like I've, you know, the job doesn't require it, but let's just say it complements it. So I was like a key expert, super duper into multitasking. And then when I had a, when I had babes, like, yeah, it got a thousand times worse because then I just took everything. I remember being outside, like doing yard work with a strap to me, just like stuff that I'm like, I should have been just sleeping. <laughs> the stuff that like, you know, to me at the time felt like the end of the world, but like looking back created so much additional anxiety on top of everything else, but I didn't necessarily identify the multitasking as the problem. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you, when you become a mom, all of a sudden it's like your world just changes so dramatically that it's really hard to come to grips with your time is not your own, you know, and then you're trying to, I mean, they tell you to sleep when the baby sleeps, but then, (laughs) you know, and then you're like, oh, they're asleep. Now I can click, you know, those thank you notes or put a load of laundry in or whatever else that you want to do. And so then, you know, then you become even better at just like doing everything that you would normally do, but with a baby attached or a baby yeah. along. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, I think it just naturally lends you to kind of pile on more and more and more into your moment. Plus like yes. having babies teaches you to be like, you're a lot more reactive. I feel like um, if you have anxiety at, at all that, <laughs> you know, having a baby crying is going to like, it's pushing you to be like hyper reactive. Yeah. You're, you're moving even that. faster. Yes. And while all these things are um, very much survival for a young mother and probably very necessary from a biological reason, I think sometimes you allow it to encroach. So now you're not only doing stuff when the baby sleeps, when, as the baby gets older, when the baby's awake, you're also doing things. 
instead of being with that child, connecting with that child, you are, well, I have to make dinner. I have to do like the excuses are endless to avoid connecting with the, just because, you know, for a variety of reasons, some of it is not very pleasant, right? I'll be honest about that. So I really think that while, um, again, none of these things are sort of bad in and of itself, but like when you add, when you apply them to other, so outside of the home, so texting while driving, looking at your phone while driving, unable to sit, sit at a stoplight without checking your messages. Here are examples of multitasking that's really, it's stealing, you're, you're losing something by engaging so frenetically in a multitude of different tasks at the same time. Absolutely. And I think you slip into it without even thinking, you know, hey, this is a level that I'm at. It's just, (laughs) it builds and it builds. And all of a sudden you're doing exactly that. You're checking your phone. You're responding to messages when you are like, you're just doing too many things all at once Yes, and and not necessarily doing any of them all that well, but the illusion of being productive. The illusion of being productive, I think you said it, at a time where I think um, a sense of accomplishment is hard to find, especially if you're a young mother or mother of many children that are very young, it's hard to find sort of successes within your day. But if you look to yourself and look what I did, you know what I mean? Wow, this was, and it's like, you know, I think what monotasking does is it forces you to understand that getting things done is not a way of living. And one way of living is just to experience where you're at right now, period. And monotasking forces that because it it is taking away additional ways or mechanisms that you can distract yourself and give a false sense of accomplishment where really the accomplishment is that you're here and you're here with your family. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing else to be added. So by removing that cope, to me, it's definitely a coping mechanism, right? Forces that stillness, right? Forces the ability to, and it's not even stillness, forcing you to do one thing at a time and not like, wash dishes while listening to music. Again, you can be as hard or as as loose with these rules if you want, but I find with a strict approach, you can really see how uncomfortable you get during certain activities that you're used to distracting yourself, like listening to music when you drive. Again, none of these things are a bad thing, but by using the stillness diet, you you strip all of that away. You say, nope, one thing at a time. When I drive, I drive. When I chop onions, I chop onions. You know what I mean? It's really hard to do. It's incredibly hard to do. Well, that I found in my own personal life. It's, um, when you, when you're so used to multitasking and just doing it so seamlessly, you don't even know how to slow down to the point that you have to consciously say to yourself, okay, I'm doing one thing right now. Don't, you know, don't go check this. Don't, you know, run and put a load of laundry in, just, you know, chop these onions and then yep. <laughs> prepare the next thing that needs to get, you know, it's, it, yeah. you start, I'm like, oh, I could quick put something in the dishwasher too, you know? So you stop midway of chopping onions and you throw in, you know, it's like your mind is just going way too Your mind is you. scattered. Yes. Correct. And the mind can't keep up and you end up you know, I don't know about you, but it's like, oh, I need to go do this. And then I go upstairs and I'm like, what did I come up here for? Mm. So I've done well, dinner's still unmade. I'm upstairs for some reason, for a reason I can't remember. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> so um, I've tried, I always try, you know, at the beginning of the year to really do a strict stillness diet and then to add in things that I really love and miss. And I notice, I have noticed a few things. So 
monotasking and not using my phone are probably the two hardest parts for me of the stillness diet, which is not coincidentally why we're starting with those two. It is a huge, my energy is a get it. If I, if there was something on my tombstone, it would read, she got it all done. That's like (laughs) part of my personality is to, I've, you know, I just have so much of this energy of like getting, you know, going through the list, getting, solving problems, right. It's part of my personality. And it's really, it's really been embarrassingly hard to do one thing at a time. And then to remind myself, like, you know what, it's, it's enough to not get everything else done. The other thing that, that comes to mind is a lot in my, in, in quotes, a lot less gets done. Um, and my family notices too, when I'm on a task. And then I, I ask myself, well, was it good that I was doing everything? You know what I mean? Like what, what else can we learn? What changes can arise? But, um, it has made a huge impact of my life to force and it. And I feel like also too, it does. I feel like it does take a little pleasure away. Like I really love listening to music as I get ready. And when I drive and depriving me of that, it feels very boring. Again, we've talked about the feeling of boredom and what it can mean to us. And working through that is hard. It's really unpleasant. And there are some days where I just don't want to do it. I'm tired. Usually something is happening with me. I'm tired. I'm frustrated about something. And I go right back to the multitask, right back to the music at all times, right back to the podcast in the background. And it's a way of dulling or numbing. But I think what it, what this does to force you out of that is to actually really feel a feeling <laughs> that sucks. Yeah. Cause it, I mean, nobody likes to feel uncomfortable feelings. You know, we want yeah. to push those away. We want to you know, solve that boredom by, you know, just distractions, you know, the, the music, the podcast, the whatever else. And and it's really hard to just be in the moment instead of, you know, reflecting on, oh my gosh, I need to do X, Y, and Z. And that's what leads into, I think, the bizarre multitasking where you're just like picking something up, dropping another thing, and then forgetting what you're yep. picking up again. Cause you're just like, yep. so in your head about future things or the list. Cause I feel like women, they really hold this like big mental load you know, there, there's so many different things that are going on in our minds. And that's like, that's, I think I, the more that there's going on, the more I'm like, okay, why did I come in this room? You know, because you're just like, so focused on all these like little things. Okay. This doctor's appointment's coming up. I got to fill out this permission slip for my child. Um, I have to remember to pick up so-and-so at this time. I need to return that text. You're just like, Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, yeah. quick, I gotta go in this room. Quick, I gotta go in that room. And like, oh, I gotta remember this. The dog's barking. Oh, you know, it's just like, wow. And yes. <laughs> yes. Because I think we're taught from a year early age, you know, just by society and our parents and you know, just culture to be taking care of things in a different way. I think yeah. than men perhaps are. Like the expectations are, are way different for a mom than a dad, a dad because if a dad great. does something, they look at the dad and they're like, oh, look at him. He's such a good dad. And if a mom does it, they're like, that's just what we expect you to do because you're a mom. Yes. Or <laughs> criticizing the way you do it. Right. Endlessly criticizing a way a woman does something that a man would never um, attempt to do as a father, right. Or is not expected to do. I think this is the you know, the reason that this and the phone are so hard is because again, it helps you feel the feels, but I think to your point, the point
point you were making earlier, um, it forces you to be mindful. I think a lot of people struggle with mindfulness and meditation. And I think because they're making it unduly hard by playing into both of these two impulses, right? When you remove the ability for you to cope, you are forced into the now, <laughs> you are forced. And it's something I don't see, you know, I see a lot of these, you know, you Google mindfulness and you read a book about it. None of them talk about what you don't do anymore. It's really, it's really interesting to me. And that's why I think these techniques are really applicable to your life because it will, it will force you to be mindful when you have to chop one onion and that's all you're allowed to do. I guarantee you're going to pay more attention to it. You might enjoy it more. Maybe you won't, but if it's the only thing you have access to, it's like, you know, if you've ever been in a situation Way back in the Dizay, before we had phones, I remember I went to um, field school for archaeology and we stayed in a student home and there was no phone and there was no internet. This is before all of that, right? And there wasn't even a television. These were rental houses, like there was no TV. And I remember we would drive once a week to the community college to check our email and to like watch TV in like a common room, like the, a Simpsons episode. And I remember how much fun I had doing my once a week trip, checking my email that one time a week, watching my one episode. And I valued all of it way more. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. When we inundate ourselves with multi it's like you cheapen all of it. You cheapen all of it. Cause you're not really there. You're in your head. You're thinking about what's next. You're thinking about, you know what I mean? The next day, the next task, the next this, but when you strip all that away, forcing yourself to be where you're at, I think there is a new appreciation that happens when it comes to the things you own, the things you do with your life, because you're actually there, (laughs) you're present, you're not somewhere else. I mean, we really only have the present moment. I mean, that's the truth. And, you know, I think you're hitting on a lot of really good points because, you know, in terms of mindfulness, people, the idea of just sitting in silence and not doing anything at all can be kind of scary to people. And then you're, yes. and I think people don't know what to do when they, when they feel distracted in that moment, you know, they yep. think like I'm failing, you know, if they yes. start having these different thoughts, but I, I can't remember which scene, I think it's um, Teresa of Avila. She, um, I don't know, but it, it's like, these thoughts are like ships passing by. You can see the ship and notice the ship and return to your focus. It's like, you just see it, acknowledge it and return, you know, just keep correcting and bringing, writing your thoughts back instead of being like, okay, I noticed something. This is not working now. I'm not being mindful. Like you're self judging, like right off the bat, you know, and and that is just another, you know, barrier to kind of being in the moment being mindful because, you know, I, I did that, um, seven sisters apostolate, last last year or the year before where I spent my holy hour in adoration praying for just one priest for the whole hour so that really really taught me a lot about how often I just bring it back to myself always and what I'm thinking (laughs) what I'm feeling um and I think one of the aids that really is helpful when you're trying to stay focused on one particular thing for a period of time is you bring, you can bring a little notebook with you. So when you have that distracting thought of, okay, I need to remember to pick up my kid at three, just write it down. And then your mind is just, it's out of your mind. Then you return back to your focus. You took your little second 
it's okay. It's okay to take your like little second and then return back. It's like, you can't get so down and so judgy on yourself about, Oh my gosh, I'm failing. This isn't working. I'm just not doing well here, but you are doing well. I mean, this is like human nature and you'll see, I think if you practice it more and more and more, those intrusive thoughts become less and less and less, you know, and then your focus, you're noticing when you're drifting off so much better as time goes on. Cause like at the beginning, you're just kind of like, okay, here I am praying. I'm praying so hard for this priest. Like I'm just thinking about only him, you know? And then all of a sudden you're like bringing yourself into the prayer, like, you know, saying, God help me do better at this. Or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's like, just somehow you always bring it back to yourself. It's so funny. But you of know, course. when time goes on and you become like, it becomes more of a habit. It, it's easier to, to enter into it and it's a whole lot more seamless and those intrusive thoughts that keep popping by you crack them faster and you return back to your focus faster because it's just like a muscle training for your brain I would say you know and there's a lot of you know you're talking about you just focusing on chopping the onions for example our, our lovely onion chopping example um <laughs> You know, there can be a lot of like fun and joy in just focusing on one like small movement, you know, because I mean, you really see it in little children, you know, the ages three to five when they're um, just doing the same patterns in repetition. They're just enjoying, you know, like the in catechesis of the Good Shepherd, you know, they're or Montessori. You know, they're taking like one bowl of um, beads and they're taking a tongs and moving it to the other bowl, just back and forth, back and forth. And if you were to stop and do that yourself, you would find joy in it too. If you just sit there and do it, it's actually like very soothing to just focus on this one simple movement and not, and just putting all your attention into it. Because I think as grownups, you know, you you start to, it's a process that begins, I think, in your teen years and continues on. And if you're lucky enough to have kids, you, you're reliving your childhood and you're doing these experiences again that were like so joyful to you when you were a child that were bringing all that awe and wonder and presence back into your life. You can do these like moving the beads <laughs> and you're like, hey, this is actually not as dumb, quote unquote dumb, you know, as I thought it was going to be. And that's what I learned a lot, you know, during my training for catechesis of the good shepherd. It's like these just going through and doing the thing means something. You can't just read about it. You can't just think about it. It's like actually doing the motions and going through the movements of certain things, the rituals of certain things. It's like, wow, it's very, very powerful, very powerful. I think what you're hitting on is something that um, I know you and I talked about quite a bit. So our country is becoming less and less religious, which I don't necessarily think is a bad thing. I'm not religious myself. However, a benefit you have as a Catholic is you have rituals available to you that encourage these types of practices. Okay. So the rest of the non-Catholic people, what are they doing? Are they texting? Are they multi? You know what I mean? It's, it's, There is no ritual. You have to build that from scratch. That's a challenge, right? There's a reason monastery, you watch any decent Kung Fu movie, there's like a Kung Fu monastery moment where they have the the young monks and the young recruits like washing floors 
You know what I mean? It's that repetitive. And again, the whole purpose of this is like, well, I'm here to learn master. And the master's like, go wash the floor. You know, it's a emptying of oneself, right? An emptying of the things of the world that we fill ourselves with, the ego, all the things that are coming to you as you're trying to pray for your priest, right? And without that emptying, you know, you can't fill a cup that's already full, another old adage, right? You got to drain that first. And the way to do that, one way to do that is by monotasking, is that sort of like releasing everything else, putting one bead to the next. And again, activities that you look to as bored, like that's a sign to go deeper, right? I wonder to myself, why, why am I resisting? And a question you can ask yourself when you're approaching monotasking as part of the stillness diet is no, really notice those times. Like you said, notice, why am I feeling this way? What's, what's boring or dumb about just sitting here? What am I trying to avoid, right? What, like what's happening inside myself and then letting it go, watching it go by. That's really difficult to do if you're never really there. And I think that's where a lot of us are operating from. It's like in a head space and not a life space, not really in reality in a fake reality that we're sort of making up. But yeah, I think this, this diet and this, this book, I think can be a really good solution to people who either are interested in creating traditions for themselves or maybe investigating um, a type of structure in a religion that can give them that. And I think that's what people are, I think, a little dismissive of sort of religion today. And I think it still can really offer huge benefits for this type of thing of really understanding and teaching a sense of being really mindful and encouraging you to do that via certain rituals. And I think that what you brought up is a really important point. Well, I mean... You're right too, because there is some structure depending upon what faith that you're participating in, or, you know, if you're participating in meditation or um, prayer, things like that. I mean, the, for the Catholic faith, the rosary is just another tool that's very similar to um, mindful meditation. Um, so I don't know. I think that there's a lot of talk right now about being present, you know, and mindfulness, but I think what, you know, the stillness diet and the discussions that we're having right now, why they're super important is because they're not, they're addressing ways to try to bring this to your life, but not like what to also subtract from your life. Yes. <laughs> it's like, yes. It, yeah. It's, it, I feel like there's, it's very surface, like, okay, you should be present because here's the reasons why, and these are the benefits, but you know, they're, I think speaking about like more concrete strategies and tips and like how this actually looks in life is what's missing from a lot of that. Missing. Yeah. hundred percent agree. So what do you think that you do um, to help encourage yourself to monotask on a day-to-day basis? So again, I start stricter and then I relax. So right now um, I'm on the full vanilla stillness diet, right? And um, monotasking is the approach that I take. Um, There's no phone calls on the phone, like in the car. None of that's happening. When I'm driving, I'm driving. Um, It is so hard just, and again, I'm, it's, I don't know if I've ever been fully successful with doing this. I'll be honest, hundred percent. It's extremely difficult. Even now, you know, someone called me during this podcast and I'm like, well, I'll call them on my way to my next meeting. And I'm like, Oh, I can't do that. I can't mono. 
but I will tell you, you know, something interesting happened um, at work because of this, because, you know, now with COVID, everyone's working from home or many people are. Um, and I have one of those jobs. And during my meetings, I've just noticed, I just started, you know, adopting the diet and actually not being on email while I'm on a meeting. And I noticed something. What I noticed is no one is paying attention. I'm the only one. <laughs> I'm the only one. And I'm telling you, like, every meeting, maybe, maybe if I'm being generous, I can think of one other person who for the past two ish months has been present during a meeting. And the interesting thing is it's become socially acceptable. If you were in an actual meeting, like a physical meeting and people were looking at their phones, it's still considered pretty rude. Right. But when we're home in front of the computer, I can just tell the look of the eyes. It's like, they say their introduction, whatever they came to say at the meeting, and then they go right to their email. Yeah. The proliferation of email during COVID, the prolifer, again, we like doing stuff. It makes our bodies and brains feel good. It's a game for the brain. Mm-hmm. This proliferation of meeting and calls. And, and it's just interesting to me. I'm like, this is no, this is, we all need a stillness diet right now because I bet you dollars to donuts. Not all these emails are written outside of meetings during quiet time. Are you kidding? They're like sent on the no fly. Way. You know, they all seem to be so important, but at the end of the day, like, what have we created? That's so good. I'm, I'm don't think we're any more efficient than we were before. I mean, we are in the sense of, you know, I think cutting down emissions by not going to work is a good idea. I think saving on energy for not paying for these big, like big office buildings. I think that's, I'm not talking about that. It's more sort of like the work we're doing. What is the value here of this constant spinning? So I have to say like, through adopting monotasking, while it's been hard at work, it's invaluable because I'm the only one paying attention. I really feel like I'm the only one paying attention. And I think because of that, I'm able to sort of identify the priorities and in a much more efficient way than if I was doing a million other things. Well, yeah, I think you hit on it right there. It's like the quality of your attention really does matter. You know, you're able to process things so much more quickly. You don't have to have the repetition of like, wait, what was that again? You know, um, and when you are focusing on one thing very closely and just seeing it through to the very end, you know, like for instance, loading the dishwasher and not responding when you see someone's like sent you a text, you know, just continuing through from the beginning to the end, you're doing that so much faster and more in the end efficiently. Like if you look at the end result, it's, it was done easier and more efficiently than with the interruptions and this, again, illusion of productivity. Cause I mean, really a lot of what you're talking about, about the emails and the meetings and stuff, this is like old fashioned busy work, you know, like that, the homework that's super redundant that you're, you know, you got in school that my kids get these worksheets. It's just repetition of things to reinforce whatever else and I mean, a lot of the homework I think that elementary kids get is just, you know, busy work. And some of it is necessary at repetition and some of it is not. And like whenever the school districts nearby us eliminated homework, they just have reading time as homework. (laughs) Can you imagine the freedom? (laughs) However, you know, um, love that. So what about, and I've talked about me, but what about you and monotasking? What are you, are you practicing any approaches to it right now or? 
Well, I feel like I just basically became aware of my heightened multitasking in the last year or two. Um, I just keep stopping myself and thinking like, why am I rushing through so many things simultaneously? Because again, I can, I can see the results are not good. And, and then I really reflected on it and realized because, you know, I've been moving at this heightened speed for so long with children in my life, like distracting me and, um, I, and my own personal, you know, need to be productive or try to be productive under pressure or under time constraints and whatever else that I've really gone overboard on, um, multitasking to the point where I feel like it, it's physically difficult to focus on one thing at a time Mm -hmm. and see it through to the end. So, um, over the last year or so, I've gotten a whole lot better at it, but it took a lot of conscious effort, you know, a lot of reforming habits and telling myself that internal monologue, that reminder of, hey, you you don't need to be rushing through this right now. There's no reason to, like, it's artificial, just, you know, reactions. It's like this, you just become so reactive, I think yes. when your, your body has been moving at a certain pace (laughs) and then your mind moving at a certain pace that it becomes difficult to slow down and it takes a real conscious effort. So I think reminders, um, whatever kind of reminders you can instill or install (laughs) in your life is, is really like key to kind of moving from that heightened level of multitasking to monotasking. So for me, like usually I'm, I'm doing an extreme amount of this in the kitchen. So, you know, little reminders like post-its and things like that, or kind of like creating your own little visual cue. Like when I see the, the kitchen sink, I'm going to remember that I want to be moving slow, moving through the task at hand instead of quickly to the next or interrupting myself to move to the next thing. I mean, I think installing those kind of like little bit little bit of like a marker in your mind. Like that's something that like I do. Um, how about you? I love that suggestion. I think it's a good one. I work best with, um, sort of mentally setting the intention. Um, and I respond, I find my response to it. So if I, again, because I'm on stillness diet right now, you know, I take every moment to set that intention, like one thing at a time. And I'll talk to myself. I'll say one thing at a time. And when I feel sort of urge, one thing at a time, I know we talked in the phone episode of like the different um, technological opportunities that you have to sort of not use your phone less with the different techniques, put it in a drawer. I think monotasking is a lot harder for that. So I think to your point, little reminders, signs, post-its, but also sort of declaring the intention is key for monotasking because um, there's so many opportunities in your day to exercise it because every impulse I have in my body is to multitask. It's just, and I think this is a very personality driven one. I think not everyone has to struggle. I think women hundred percent have the struggle. I think we've evolved to be very good at multitasking. And I think it can be beneficial in certain times, right? Certain times of your life, it might be unavoidable, but, but, um, again, you got to empty yourself before anything else can be filled in. And I think of, um, you know, the challenge that some people are having with being able to sleep these days and to relax. And if you're constantly in overdrive all day, 
even if you meditate for 30 minutes a day, even if you meditate yeah. for hours a day, if the rest of your day is filled with multitasking and phone use and you know what I mean? All that it's, it's untenable. It doesn't matter. Like it's really forcing, forcing the stillness is what this is all about. And monotasking is a way to get there. So yeah, I think like a mental intention or even one that is written right on your bathroom mirror, write it, you know, put it on a, a lock screen on your phone, whatever it takes, looking at the sink, picking a symbol. When I see the symbol, right. When I look at my watch, when I, when my phone rings every hour, I ask myself, how have I done on this? I think those can be really powerful aids. And then enlisting help. This is always a good one. So my husband is, oh, wait, he loves telling me how hasty I am. So, you know, if I enlisted his help, I'm never going to do this. Why would I do that? But anyway, I would <laughs> be thrilled if I enlisted his help and be like, you know, I'm trying to be less hasty. There's a Korean word for it, hastiness. And he calls me that sometimes. So, you know, and again, in certain cultures, it's really valued to sort of take your time with things. And his is one, like I, I definitely find in Korea, you know, maybe not with the current culture now, but um, definitely with my mother-in-law, I see sort of um, low and slow, like you do one thing, you do it perfectly. It is a huge part of that culture and the American culture that it, this is my place, baby, because this is not like that. It's very much like you got to hustle and get it all done. And I'm drinking coffee while I'm on a phone call while I'm walking the dog. Like it's very much part of our, oh, like, yeah. Um, that whole like girl like, boss kind of thing. Yes. Like the hustle, uh-huh. you yes. know, like let's move. And yep. yeah, I know. I like yep. see my, you know, also artificially hustling my children around too, where I'm like, we need to hurry, like get moving. And I'm like, yes. let's go faster. And I'm, you know, so I think I've also tried to dial that down quite a bit because um, like rushing through things all the time is artificially like that when, you know, we can just be like a minute late, you know, we can, you know, put on our shoes more slowly, you know, that type of thing and, and do it with more calmness because like, I don't know, I don't want to be like, (laughs) my kids are probably already prone to anxiety just from being like my children. And (laughs) just because like I have it, you know, this thing can be kind of genetic and, you know, you just create these patterns of like heightened, you know, reactive, you know, just being too reactive to things or like too intense in these moments where it's like, you know, it's not life or death if we're, you know, tying our shoes fast instead of, you know, slow instead of fast, for example, or, you know, getting in the car in a certain pace. I'm with you. Mm -hmm. And you're teaching them as you're treating them. Right. So it's like, and this, you know, I notice with my daughter, if I give her too much instruction, her brain will short circuit. Like she's just like, cannot take it in. Right. And it's not fair to her to be barking all these like multi-directional orders you know, to unload on her, all the things that she needs to be doing before we leave the house isn't, you know what I mean? It's like, again, understanding the pace, like just because the pace of my mind is different does not mean I impose that on everybody else. You know what I mean? Like really taking the time to be like, what is it I want to say? What is it I want to do instead of being in a million places at once? I think there's a lot of strength and maturity in that. And I'm, I'm not there yet, but hopefully (laughs) Day I will be. <laughs> well, you were talking about enlisting help. So uh, you could enlist your daughter's help. Cause I bet if I told my kids to tell me to take one, one step at a time, one thing at a time, they would notice me doing this and call me out on it 
repeatedly. So, <laughs> and I, I would think, be able to take I that. I would, I would take that guidance, you know, those reminders from them, I think a little easier than I would from my husband per se. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you made a really great point. And again, um, and you've helped me understand this too, like giving young children the empowerment to know that they matter with me and my relationship to them and that they are a part of helping me just as I help them. I think that's something that can really give her a little boost there too, right? Because I think so often there's just so little control you have when you're five, you know? So if like she is able to help her mother with something, I think that makes them feel a way about it, you know? And I think that's good. Well, I mean, and it's true. I mean, there's so much more the the ages three to five. These are like very in the moment children. You know, this is the their developmental stage of you know, this moment that we're in right now is all that matters. The past is gone. The future hasn't happened. We're just like right here, right now. And we have our needs right here, right now. And the, the list of, um, tasks or directions can only be so long. Like you can only hold so much in your head at that age and, and continue to, you know, function basically. (laughs) And it's just, yeah, I mean, it's very refreshing spending time with um, three to five-year-olds uh, where it's just, you know, you're just guiding them through whatever they're doing because they do remind you a lot of um, being in the moment and just being happy in this moment with the small little thing that you're doing. Because, I mean, all, that's what makes up our lives are all these like little moments that yes. are seemingly meaningless, but they're not because quite honestly, it's like, you know, when you're talking about your relationship with your own children, I mean, you're setting this example to them and it's okay to say like, you know, mom's trying to learn how to do things differently because, you know, you're, you're showing them that it's okay to say you're not perfect. It's okay to say that you want to change for the better, you know, and like, this is a process. This is how you, you know, this is how it's done. So when they get older in time and they can do that self-evaluation too and feel okay with it and feel okay with improving them themselves in a positive way without it feeling like some kind of like I don't know what I'm trying to say here like a like a self-judgment in a negative way I mean yeah it's it's kind of like alert I don't know I guess I've always been that type of person that's seeking to change and grow in a positive way so I'm all right with my kids saying hey mom you know we noticed that <laughs> you're doing <laughs> this a certain way. And I'll, you know, I'm like, part of me is like, Hey, but then the other part is like, you know, I do want to know. Um, I want my kids to know that I'm all right with hearing their feelings and their thoughts on things without immediately saying, Hey, have respect for your mom. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, cause that's the knee jerk reaction. I know exactly what you're saying. And I think it's a really important point. Um, I don't want, again, Getting things done is not something that you will be satisfied with when you're on your deathbed. It is not. You will not look back and be like, I'm so happy I got my to-do list done every day. What a clean house I lived in all my life. That's not going to be one of the things. The things is like, remember that time that my daughter wanted to look at the little fairy house on the corner? And even though it was out of the way, we went anyway. Those are the moments you're going to feel like those. Yeah. Those are the beautiful moments. Those are the moments of truth, beauty, goodness, yes. these like little yeah. moments of life. I mean, it's always about these really our relationships and how yes. we are loving people. Cause really at the end yes. of the day, you're looking back to do like a daily examine or, 
a reflection of, you know, what were my successes? What were, what could I improve on? You know, what do I want to do better? Um, The first thing on the list should probably be, have I loved well today? Have I loved the people in my lives? Do they feel that I've loved them? You know, or I, it's, that's a, that can be a tough question, really. Yeah. You know, to your your point, um, you know, we do address this later in the stillness diet. I think knowing your why is really important about embarking on this. And as you move through, as you're able, again, I feel like we need to talk a little bit about like what you get out of taking all these hard, hard steps in your life. But the good news is, is what you get is you're able to ask these questions and get really good answers. And it's good information. It can really be hard to hear. Of course. Can it be hard to live? Yes. But at least you have the answer. I think so often we're just wandering through life, blaming everyone else, wondering what's wrong. And it's like the answers are inside. But again, if that cup is full, you can't receive it. The stillness diet is about how to receive and how to change. Um, Repent. The term repent means to make a change, to change directions. That's always what it's meant. And I think that's the key of what the stillness diet is all about is our desire. And maybe we spend an episode on this, why we even embarked on this in the first place. Because again, I'm in the same place that you are. I want to make a change. I see parts of my life and I'm disappointed with it, right? Because I know I'm, it's the wrong direction. And all I need to do is turn in the other direction to walk in the other way. But it's hard. I think when I, when I read a lot of um, scripture that talks about like the ways of the world, living in the world, don't be of the world. I think of this type of thing, right? This constant spinning past future, worrying about dumb stuff, like being on the phone. Like, that's what I think of. Like, hurry up, get your shoes on. That's what I think of (laughs) being in the world. world, It's like, yeah, it measures success in an entirely different way way. than what true success is measured by, I would say. I mean, because that's really what the whole goal of all this is to achieve or at least hold within yourself this sense of contentment and peace. I mean, we want to be, um, we, I mean, I really think that's the ultimate goal of, of everyone. It's like not to be constantly like a high, joyful happiness. I'm like, that exhausting too. That can be exhausting. (laughs) It's like, we want to feel at peace. We want to be at rest. We want to be content. Like that is, I think like the true essence of living a happy life, a positive life. I'm so with you. And again, one of my favorite parts of scripture is, you know, Jesus saying, come with me and live lightly and freely. And I've always was like, what does he mean? I want that. What does that mean? And it's like the life pursuit. What does that mean? And again, you don't need to be religious to appreciate what he's saying. It's like, well, what is that person talking about? This is why we're still talking about him thousands of years later. It's like, I want that. I want to live like that. How is that possible? How does that work? And I believe that the stillness diet is at least one road. There are many, but to me, it's like one road that can lead you down that path of like a light and free life, just forcing yourself out of the, you know, the way of the world. It's, it's going to, it's very counterculture. And like I said, it's hard, but it's easy to enlist help. I love your suggestion of enlisting your kids. Um, You know, it's gotta be someone close to you that sees you that can sort of maybe, your subordinates at work, wouldn't that be fun? Can you tell me when I'm, can you tell me when I'm multitasking, when I'm not paying attention on a meeting, can you ping me and be like, stop? Like, can you like, I love the enlisting for help, setting that intention, but then being excited about what you receive after doing this. I think 
like you said, not about being deliriously happy, but a sense of calm, right? You know, during moments where when they are incredibly stressful, when you're not getting a lot of sleep, when you did have a fight with your spouse, that you're still able to go through your day by not numbing. You're able to go through your day sort of like letting those feelings work through you and drift by like a cloud. Like that is a goal when things really are a pressure cooker for you to be able to release. And that's really the heart of where the stillness diet comes from is that sense of chaos and wanting a, a map out of it to live lightly and freely. Living lightly and freely. Yeah, that is like one of those very symbolic um, meaning, like very powerful statement, you know, like you can yep. really envision that and use that as like a part of your, again, things that you will repeat to yourself yes. when you're in these moments, you know, this is like the one step at a time, do one thing at a time, living lightly and freely. It's like, those things are very short statements, but powerful ones. You know, it's like yeah. we, we do, when we are living in that kind of state, then we affect the people around us so much more positively too, you know, and yeah, yes. that kind of ties into, you know, loving others. It's, oh, it's, yeah. Cause some of this is very sacrificial love, you know, like, yeah, it is. Because, but to your point, like think of how the, the house feels when mom's upset. Right. How does the house feel? Like you're like the son of, and many, so it's not all, but mother is like the son of the house. Right. And it's like, when my mother was upset, we were all upset. <laughs> not to say don't get upset, but just if you can create this, this sense of inner peace and calm, it's very pervasive. Emotions are very, um, you catch them very easily. So imagine how you can sort of spread this around by, by cultivating something like this, like to your point, this impact you can have. Right. Because I really think when you're using some of these methods, like, um, you know, being more focused about your phone use and, you know, monotasking are the two things we've already discussed. It's just, those are just the tools to kind of create this more quiet environment, this more still kind of peaceful space for everyone in your home. And not only like your own personal, like little you bubble, but it's your entire, spreads to your entire home, which is yep. for your workplace too. I mean, I'm a very calm person when it comes to um, working <laughs> with people because I had a job where it was super like intense, where we worked with people that actually have, you know, I worked in a psych clinic and with my, my aunt was a nurse there and she was just really calm and amazing. And she really taught me a lot of good skills about you know, like, Hey, what's truly life or death here in this moment? You know, is this concern that we have right here in this moment? Is it life or death? <laughs> and she's just, cause she was like literally triaging like <laughs> real people, yeah. with real, you know, life or death issues. <laughs> yes. You know, so she, she was really good at teaching me to calm down when, it, um, things look like they're, uh, a stressful moment Ratchy, at work. Yeah. It's like having the yeah. perspective, her perspective was definitely yes. so valuable because I've, I've carried it through my work, you know, through my whole life, you know, it's like these, yeah, these decision-making moments where you're like, I can decide to react in a certain way. And I think, you know, that's, we have the power to make these decisions. It's just building the habits and the, the small habits of our lives to kind of fulfill that. 
and to reinforce this general person that we want to be. We want to be like the best version of ourselves, right? I mean, the best that we can, most people want to be the best version of themselves, but quite honestly, we're not a lot of the time, but we know that, you know, most of the time we're all trying to do our best, right? But, you know, there's ways to um, help ourselves along the way that are so much more productive than, you know, what the world is necessarily telling us because there's this culture of busyness. Like people want to look busy. People want to feel important because they're busy. You know, they want to say, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for that. Like, how do you possibly have time for X, Y, and Z? Well, guess what? I yeah. did look at my phone and I was horrified. Oh. Just like I said, I oh my, <laughs> my screen time. I was horrified. I like spend literally like a day a week, almost <laughs> on my phone like 20 hours you know oh my god 20 hours that's a lot like I one of the most horrifying yes it's one of the most horrifying parts of the diet is looking at your phone use like 100 percent 100 percent horrifying (laughs) it's embarrassing okay but it's not it's not about shame this is just about embracing what's going on yeah I'll remember that Oh my God. But I think it was really, it's good that I t- like forced myself to look because now yes. I know. Now, you know, and I've power. already cut down since then, you know, yeah. I've, I've moved, I moved down, I think what, 28% my phone told me. There you go. <laughs> you so that's goals. good. That's like over a quarter of, I think know. it's really good. And to your point, progress on the phone is easy to track progress on monotasking again, enlist your helpers, but I think you'll get a sense. I think I hope that as I go further, um, that things that were initially really hard to monotask become easier. I think that's what progress means with monotasking is you no longer dread the fact that you have to monotask. You might even look forward to it. You might even say, this is my time to wash the vegetables. This is my time. You know what I mean? This is my time to take a walk and not, I tell you, I I walk outside. Almost everyone has ear pods in. No one is just walking. It's again, like now I get to walk to pick up my daughter and experience emerging the spring or like a really cold windy day, like just really experiencing it instead of sort of like, you know, being somewhere else as I'm walking while I'm on a podcast or talking or any of those things. I see a lot of women striding briskly around with their phone to their ear. Oh yeah. And they're like walking super briskly and talking really briskly. And I'm like, wow, look at them, you know, but then, (laughs) but like, I don't know. I always, I don't like actually talking on my phone where people can overhear me, you know, (laughs) but like that (laughs) the cult, like the world seems okay with it. Like, you know, I've, I've always been really disconcerted by people that are on their headphones and I don't know it. And they're just talking. I'm like, are you talking to me? Like, who are you talking to right now? And like, Oh, you know, like you're on your headphones. So I, I do appreciate the moms briskly striding by with their phone on their ear, because then I know they're actually on their phone. So kudos for that. But (laughs) yeah, a lot of mixed signals. And, and, you know, I have to say now that I'm off all that, I say hello to people when I'm walking, I stop and say hi to a neighbor. I'm way, way, way more engaged than no one wants to talk to anybody. The headphones send a message of like, leave me the F alone. And even though you might be being like, yeah, leave me alone. Um, ultimately, it's probably not going to get you where you're hoping it was going to get you. Like, it might not be the best approach. I get it. I'm introverted. But again, um, you know, 
I get it. Like sometimes you just don't want to say hi to that one neighbor, but at the same time, like you can open it up the aperture a little bit, right? You can be open to what's going on around you without letting all of it in. Well, you know, yes, absolutely. And, you know, getting back to um, some concrete <laughs> tips for, I just had this thought for monotasking. So when Go you are um, moving through life, you can just imagine me here in my kitchen with my dog okay. and I'm watching you. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. On that note. Uh, <laughs> Just because I'm watching I, you while you're doing I, your stuff and saying. I think that's great. I think yeah. that's great. <laughs> and just saying a nice little encouraging one step at a time, Amy. Or yeah. <laughs> that's everyone. That's not just me. That's everybody. So you all heard it. We're just watching you. So as you, as you go through. Life is you're using the stillness diet or not know that Bridget is in her kitchen watching you and, and, um, you know, just silently with a non Midwestern judgment eye. (laughs) Well, you know, I've also found it to be kind of like a valuable exercise to imagine like you're on a reality TV show and like, what would they be capturing right now? Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. Like if they were filming me right now, what does it look like from the outside? Yeah. yeah, I think that's a really another strong incentive. <laughs> or if my neighbor was like able to see my window, you know, yeah. would they what be would like, what the heck is she doing? Like, <laughs> yes, so probably. Of course, she yeah, would, probably. But... of course she would. <laughs> that's okay. I mean, okay. this is out of context, but you know, like, but it, it can be kind of valuable to imagine that what this looks like from the outside, because yeah. that does help you kind of cor- correct these type of, extreme multitasking moments because you are, you probably look kind of nuts rushing between activity to activity, like very harried and very silly because you're like, okay, oops, I forgot why I'm in this room. I'm going back to the other room now, you know? <laughs> yeah. I feel you. Yeah. And we've actually, you know, my kids and I, like a lot of times we'll be, we'll talk about our, we have, of course we have all these dogs. We have three dogs. And a lot of times I'll just kind of talk to the dogs and be like, what do you think, Hugo? And then I'm like, he doesn't think anything. He's just like right here, right now in this moment. We're like, what do you think he's thinking right now? It's like dogs couldn't be more in the moment. Like they just live for this one exact moment. Exactly. (laughs) Use the inspiration of the dogs and the children in your life and the birds. And the again, there's a reason why Jesus is like, witness the birds, witness the flowers. It's like here he's trying to be like the sparrow, right? Yeah. It's the sparrows. Like it's like it's a reason. It's like he there's he's pointing to that for a reason, right? To be like, look at the look at how they experience life. Aim for that, right? And that's what we're trying to do here. Yeah. Like, what would your dog do? I know what my dog would do. They would like eat everything in the house and then sleep. (laughs) As long as he was doing it one thing at a time. Okay, we got to wrap this one up. Um, We do all next week. What's our topic for next week, Bridget? We did. Yeah, I think we could talk about prayer. Prayer, meditation, those type of practices, those spiritual practices that are, you know, that you can build into your day and the, the benefits of them okay. and some methods around that. I think that would be okay. fun to talk about for sure. Let's add it. Let's add it to the list and to the list, to the list and have a lovely weekend, lovely long weekend. And we'll talk to you all soon. I'll be back with another episode in one week. In the meantime, check out more content on olivebranchmom.com and follow me on Instagram at olivebranchmom. Check out my show notes for links to both. Thanks for listening.